This episode of Uncool is brought to you by Amazing Ash and Superhero Armor, Coming of Age, Book 2, now available at bookstores near you. Uncool is recorded on Audio-Technica mics. There's Top Gun Maverick, then there's Jurassic World Dominion, and then there's Amazing Ash and Superhero Armor 2. One of these sequels are available in bookshops right now. Well, and today we have Melanie, writer of Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama, who did not need 36 years to produce this sequel, by the way. So Melanie, tell us more about your new book, Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama, number two. Hello, hello. Okay. <laughs> hi Yenling and hi Sean and hi whoever is listening. So this is actually part of a three book series. It's going to be three books. Uh, Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama is actually a middle grade graphic novel series. And the first book was actually, let me get the first book was published actually in 2020 in the peak of COVID. Uh, so it had actually had quite a quiet launch. And this book too just came out uh, last month over uh, at the AFCC, the Asian Festival of Children's Content. So it basically revolves around an 11-year-old kid called Ash and she discovers that her ama has these uh, superpowers by accident. And she soon discovers that she also has these superpowers. It's like this alternate generation genetic transmission thing. And um, they decided to team up and help their community and with the help of Ash's friends as well from neighborhood and school. Uh, they go around helping various people in the community. So book one is like, as with most superhero adventures, it's a pretty much origin story, how they discovered their powers, how they train, how they form their team and sort of you know, test waters in terms of like helping people out. Um, so book two really kind of amps up on the action. There's a lot more larger scale operations and they meet their kind of like full-fledged baddie head on, like there's a super villain of sorts. And um, I think it helps them um, come to terms with their own limitations as well as people because also um, Ama, superhero Ama, uh, does uh, have this condition known as dementia. So um, it is kind of evident in the first book, but the second book, you really see the symptoms kind of unfolding in between missions. So of course, it creates more drama as well. Okay, so this is book two of a trilogy. Yes. So, so better than Top Gun, nah, trilogy. <laughs> It's more, this is like Spider-Man, Tom Holland version already. You know? Yeah, except I don't have the budget of Marvel to really push this through. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have done and how it led you to writing and writing this comic? Yeah, so actually I've been writing children's books for a while and I think it's because of that I was invited by Difference Engine, which is a, an independent comics publisher, to pitch for stories a few years back. They just sort of started up and they were on the lookout for stories. So they asked me for ideas. And at that time, I had just watched the first Wonder Woman, uh, not the second one. Uh. The first Wonder Woman kind of got me pumped up. And I was like, I would really like to do a female superhero story, but one set in Southeast Asia and one featuring a kid and an elderly lady. So I, I really wanted kind of like a grandmother-granddaughter duo kind of going. And yeah, I think they kind of liked that idea. When I was very young, I loved writing fairy tales. It kind of died down with the primary school education where you write, have to write like sensible compos. So 
both in primary and secondary school, um, I was okay in English. And English was one of my better subjects, but I would like a few incidents, at least two or three times a year where I would totally flung my compos because they are too imaginary. Like there's time travel involved or the lady in the story, like there's a, you know, this composition with a robbery and a pickpocketing. I'll make the robber fall in love with the lady. And, you know, like, <laughs> well, weird, nice, I will, you know, I think I'm quite interesting, but fail, like, just fail. So, so the teachers will always, often have to rein me in. My mom was panicking that you know, I would do something like that for the major exams for PSLE and all of us. Like she's so worried. I would, she always tell me like, you know, just rein yourself in, you know, like don't, don't get too zany with your story ideas. And I think that was me going forward because I did mass comm and even I know journalism, there's a lot of discipline with how you need to write, right? Like succinct and direct and um, all these actually are good writing habits for sure. And it helped me in, you know, earn money through writing. But um, it's only, I think when I had a kid that I, I, I kind of revisited my love for just natural storytelling. And that's when I started writing children's books and um, starting to have fun with writing again. So I definitely, the comic book series uh, was, it's probably my most fun experience because it really allowed me to be as zany as I could and bring in, you know, all these like random influences in my life, but still have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad though. I just remember for compo when I do write, last time I, I do for, we had to follow a template, that, but that's because my Chinese really sucked. I remember having to write, to write based on templates. Then for my English, I remember when I was writing compos, right, I also got, got a lot of like failure there because everything I wrote was in dialogue. And so when you write everything in dialogue in your primary school, right, so what happens that all your, all your grammar and punctuation goes all over the place. It's like, you know, yeah, hey, you forgot to open exactly what's happening to, to my son at the moment. Yes. Yeah. It's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. wrong, wrong, wrong. Cannot. Then next thing you know, like, hey, why uh? Oh, because your oh your punctuation uh, cannot make it because so everybody was all dialogue. So I'm like, so I was like, you just you just write. I I guess you know you write what you want, right? And write my things meant to be fun, right? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't. I mean, of course you don't write what you want, but writing should be fun and somehow yeah. those kind of experiences kind of kill it for you. Yeah, it does. Right. It does. I remember once my English teacher in secondary school read out a compo I read where I had little trolls. Somehow I included little trolls in the story, and she was reading it out, and the whole class was laughing and laughing. But I still did really badly like, for the compo. But wasn't like, okay. that? So I mean, she read it out because she read it, out it was as, a like, good what story. Not to do as, oh. no, as what not to oh. do. <laughs> That's and terrible. No, but in a way, I think she was tickled by it because, like, obviously, it caught her attention. You know. <laughs> So, yeah, that's true. But yeah. at the same that's time, I think it's one thing to pinpoint punctuation and grammar and stuff. But when you're talking about storyline, I don't think it matters that much at the end of the day. And on the note of writing, you can write your own audio series or story with the Freelance Creative Exchange Uncool Podcast. We provide full-service podcasting services to bring your intimate audio story across many platforms. The coolest part is we do most of the work for you. So drop us a note at contact at creativesatwork.asia or DM us today to find out why this is such a cool idea. Where does this uh, book uh, fall in within all, all your, your, your body of work? It was my first time writing comics, even though I do read quite a lot of comics. I wasn't really like the book otaku kind of nerd growing up. I was just someone who just read all kinds of books. So it took a while to come out. The first book, actually, I know like most local authors here, they are very good in churning out books within a few months, right? I'm not sure, Sean or Yen Ling, if you had experience writing books um, but no, this one definitely. because it was my first time like writing for the comics platform and I also had to like work very closely with the illustrator to make sure that the story was exactly what was going to be illustrated the way I had envisioned uh, it took about two years for the first book to come out actually so I had never spent so long on a book project before yeah how different is it writing 
for a regular book in text and writing for a graphic novel? Because you said you had to collaborate with your illustrator, you know. I know, were there certain other considerations that you had to look into while writing this? Yeah, so actually working with illustrators wasn't so foreign to me because I, w- I was doing picture books before that. But because of the nature of comics um, and also the illustrator, he actually told me he preferred if I write it exactly like a film script. And the script writing was just something that I only kind of got, you know, a little more experience in in the past few years because, you know, freelancing, need to pivot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was actually very good in training me to write for a script format. So I think if it helped, you know, with my other corporate projects, which require like, you know, audio installations and stuff like that, we have to write scripts or multimedia installations actually helped with my other so-called, you know, other paid work. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoyed the, the, the writing process, even though it felt very foreign to me, especially with book one. Um, I felt I was much more immersed in the story because I had this kind of filmic way of envisioning how it should play out when I write the script. I'm not sure, Sean, maybe you write a lot of scripts, uh, whether you also feel very immersed when you do script writing as say, you know, like the more corporate print kind of writing. But you were also very specific, right? When you said you wanted to write something about a girl and her ama and, you know, and then she has dementia as well. So why so specific though? Was this something that you know, happens to someone close to you, even yourself? Yeah, so I think for me, definitely there's some personal experience. I think uh, as, you know, like middle-aged adult, I'm definitely in the sandwich generation. So the idea of a kid coming to terms with a grandparent um, going through some kind of health condition is, I think, quite universal. And I think this is something that, you know, I experienced, my kid experiences. Um, but in terms of dementia, it wasn't really a personal experience. It was actually more of uh, because I see it becoming a lot more prevalent in Singapore. Like, I think um, one in 10 Singaporeans above the age of 60 have dementia in Singapore. I think that's the rate right now. And I'm hearing my friends uh, kind of like finding quite challenging to care for their parents uh, who have this dementia condition. So it was, in a way, I was a little more neutral and maybe that helped because I fully like launched into a lot of research into that condition um, just so that I ensure that also the portrayal of someone with dementia wasn't, you know, so... I don't know, wasn't so stereotypical. It will give some layers to the Ama character. So on that note, then what can we expect from uh, book two? Yeah, so as I mentioned, book two, um, Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama are more mature as superheroes and they have a full support team now and they do uh, regular weekend um, rescue missions. And um, as their missions get more, kind of say, more complex, uh, Ama's condition actually acts up more, his, her dementia symptoms are showing up more, but Ash is kind of in denial of it, even though the rest of the team is actually quite concerned. Um, Ash is kind of in denial of it, and she in a way kind of actually pushes Ama quite a bit beyond um, her current limitations. Um, and that leads to certain not-so-great circumstances. Again, read the book to find out. Um, and of course, along the way, they meet the real this real supervillain who doesn't seem like a supervillain at first, um, but this supervillain, this encounter, the supervillain is actually quite dramatic and long drawn and involves evil science laboratories, oh. <laughs> involves like 
tranquilizer darts and stuff like that. Okay, I don't want to go into it too much, but it really involves like quite like full on like kind of superhero fighting la, and struggling uh, with the scenes with the with the supervillain. But that experience actually makes the 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 mom the mom is also now involved. Uh, realize that you know she as the caregiver she also needs to make learn to put her foot down, make certain kind of hard decisions at the end of the book with the, in terms of how Ama should be cared for and how Ash should be handling these superhero missions. But you're planning hit for three at a time or are you, are you just going book by book first? Uh, well, yes, I did the whole blueprinting, like what roughly happens in book one, book two, book three. I did that way back, like, that was about maybe three and a half years ago. Um, but things unfold, so it does like, adjust slightly. So as I'm in that little filmic you know, writing process, um, like more details tend to come in as I write and envision the story. And of course, little things get tweaked here and there. I talk to people from who are social workers who are working in dementia daycare centers or work with dementia communities. Um, I'm supposed to do attachment actually with a daycare center soon for my third book have to get around to doing it. But I think that uh, that so, so-called not being, you know, having that personal experience with that condition actually made me understand that condition a lot more. And I realized it's not something that should just be, yes, it is definitely a challenging situation, but it's also something that us as so-called like the younger generations need to learn to accept as part of a human condition. And I think that's something that I realized. And that's why I think uh, kind of offshoot for that, we decided to also create an additional microsite educational resource for kids so that they can understand it better. It goes beyond um, the um, amazing Ash comics. Yeah, It's quite uh, cool you mentioned uh, about the microsite because I noticed there's all this extra content there. Yeah. There's, there's uh, comics, there's videos. As content creators, right? how do you think that we should be uh, approaching this this uh, micro you know this idea of transmedia content oh definitely okay so I think I'm we're also very fortunate we worked with a very progressive um, company Difference Engine so they are the ones who actually sort of got some grant from NAC like a, I can't remember which grant it is uh, sorry but it gave some uh, budget to do these extra promo things including um, the micro site. So that helped, but um, so, and they are the ones who actually found a company. I think it's called Continentalist, who are they are really good website makers. Like they're kind of very, you know, very immersive kind of websites as well. And they kind of got, they're, they're actually the sister company of Difference Engine. So we wrote them in to come up with this um, small microsite idea. I think it also besides the additional comics and you know the additional activity sheets and videos, we actually created an interactive space where kids can. Um, Sort of design dementia-friendly spaces for AMA. So again, it gets them, you know, thinking about like how do we live with dementia in our everyday lives? And it could be as simple as, you know, creating this little cozy corner for AMA with her plants and her iPad kind of like and like sleeve near her, her her comfy seat. It could be as simple as that, but it gets them to think that it's actually not such a scary disease and things like that. In ideal world, um, we would definitely love to explore Amazing Ash and Superhero in all kinds of media platforms. But I think of course at this point, since we're still in the midst of writing the series, we're just focused on, you know, getting the books out at this point. But definitely in the future or, you know, if anyone's interested, we'll definitely explore, we would love to explore any kind of media content to carry the story even further even theater and stuff like that I think it the story lends itself well 
And I do think um, there's an audience for it. I think kids are really are kind of like our hope that the art scene will blossom you know, for, for the years to come. And I know exposing them to more local stories is always a good thing, regardless of media platform. Have you seen the reaction like after? Because, I mean, my, my grandma used to deal with dementia, even though at that point of time, I think I wasn't too concerned about it. It was just a thing. But have you seen kids react to it and... and of families perhaps who are dealing with that same situation and reading it and like oh okay I think I understand this a little bit better yeah so I do hear of parents who they, like, they'll write in to me or they're friends of friends and they kind of contact me over social media um, they will tell me oh I'm buying this because my parents uh, like one of my parents has dementia now my kid is very kind of ambivalent or scared or hesitant about that situation and this book makes them realize you know you still can have fun with your grandparent even if your grandparent might have certain um, limitations and you know your even if uh, he or she cannot remember everything or maybe behaving in a way that's not usual compared to previous years um, your grandparent is still a full-fledged human being who still needs dignity who still needs fun who still needs music you know things like that so I think that um, what that's the feedback from parents but kids right because I think kids are just a lot more you know it's a lot more about gut reaction so they won't give me the oh how they have improved morally kind of yeah reflection. they'll just tell me whether they like or they don't like the story and I think what I'm really enjoying is that you know even though it's featuring two female characters is that I'll get a lot of updates from friends with with boys who love the story because there's a lot of action in it because there's a lot of quite corny jokes lah, but I purposely put the corny <laughs> jokes to fit the middle grade demographic, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm quite encouraged to see that it's both girls and boys, they like, you know, Amazing Ash. It's not just a girly story. It's something that kids of that age just naturally kind of will enjoy. Um, of course, I don't expect everyone to like the story, but the, the kids that do, you know, give feedback through their parents or maybe through me directly, um, is that they just tell me, oh, they find Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama exciting and funny you know they just give me very simple things but I think that's enough to riff off um, there's sometimes I've been to oh I went to a school talk once and there was a girl who actually created a multiverse you know I got a photo of her like, I can contact the school through her but she was very um, it was quite interesting because you see it, it was an international school and, and the librarian you know, kind of like encourage her interest. I'm just not sure if it would happen. For now, I'm not sure if it would happen locally. So it's the librarian who actually told me, even before the video, she was like, oh, I have a student who's just obsessed about Amazing Ash and she's done a whole sketchbook and I'm going to... And she sent me the... So she, of course, the girl will not share her sketchbook with me, right? It's her sketchbook. And she showed um, like future generations of Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama. Oh, wow. And you know, like with like her own costumes and they have... One was even on a wheelchair, but the wheelchair was like a Dr. X wheelchair. Wow. And it was and then some was like some of the stories were set in space. So I was really encouraged by that because it really sees that they are they are sort of processing the story in their own terms. The librarian scanned all her stuff for me to bring home. You know, like I'm not sure how many educators would, would make that effort for one student. So I'm really glad that this girl has kind of like a supporter cheerleader through that librarian who is kind of really encouraging her to, you know, make her stories come true. The fact that, oh, she gets to meet the author and share her ideas with the author. I think that's really like a good experience. I think it's a very nurturing experience for that student. Like a storyteller yeah. as well, you know. So it can lead to a lot of places. So I think if you're just going to search, you can find all these people. Because it's the first step for them to 
to, you know, when you talk about opening their mind and helping them to to trigger that sense and to imagine their own stories from it. I think things are hopeful. So, so with this book, right, this book too coming out, what's been really interesting is that a lot more MOE schools, like local schools and international schools have been asking me to come for talks and workshops. Yeah, and I just actually, over the weekend, um, I did a comics writing, superhero comics writing workshop at National Library at Harbourfront. And again, it was very interesting because there were some kids who come in freaked out because my workshops are usually quite like a lot of prompts, a lot of like creative activities that don't have clear-cut answers. So there are always these few students who are like, but then what's the right answer? Or how should I spell this? Or like, what if my spelling is wrong? You know, like they're still concerned about getting things right. Um, and once you just give them the permission to kind of go crazy, so I'm like, you just collect your ideas. So you don't even have to write. You can draw out your ideas if you want. You, know? you don't need to write in precise grammar. And they actually, a lot of their imagination takes off. So um, yeah, I love some of the, even if I do normal public workshops with random children from whoever, I don't know where they come from. Uh, they're local, of course, but uh, they, they, they usually have all these wonderful ideas. So there was like this like jelly man and vitamin boy and then fingernails girl, you know, like very random superhero. <laughs> but like, I love their drawings. I love their dialogue. The dialogue is so funny. Uh, I keep I keep all these drawings. <laughs> I guess kind of like tokens for like, you know, like, you know, the writing goes beyond me. It's really also about encouraging a whole bunch of kids to um, be part of the story creation process as well. Yeah, that's so cute. My mind just wandered off there. Fingernails, girls. I mean, what's <laughs> yeah, your power? Like scratching or something. I, I I'm going to scratch you now. It can be a very potent now. weapon, you know. It can be a potent weapon. I know, yeah. <laughs> actually, I heard of from my cousin, from her schoolmate, right? Ex-schoolmate. Actually used to... Uh, that was in secondary school, you know, all those alien and other things. And then they started to grow their nails very long and they started to file them to sharp points so that they could scratch during... during. See, it's like... <laughs> Fingernails girl is like grounded in social realities, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a bit worried like, now for like. <laughs> some are very intent on the origin story because it somehow shows like I have a few like a backstory about how, you know, the great grandmother, the great mother had other powers. So some of them get really curious about that and they're like, you should write a story about that. Like in the Qing dynasty, you know, that great, great, great grandmother, like how did she use those powers, oh. you know. In, then I'm like, wow, <laughs> cannot really process at this point yeah some teachers are still a bit scared they're like huh you know kids read comics won't their english become very bad you know after that you know like they still have this mindset but the fact that whoever the hod or whoever the english hit like approved me to visit means there's a bit of how to say a bit of opening up and they're realizing that actually most kids these days because they're so visual by nature to get them drawn to books comics is really going to be that gateway is that conduit to get them into books nothing else it would be hard for other things to make it so i noticed is that a lot of kids who you know read thick books and stuff like that generally also really love comics it's just their parents may not allow them but they they gravitate very naturally towards comics because of its strong visual element it gives them that that stimulation for them to like you know make sense of things visually because they have to you know read the characters expressions or observe the actions in the panels and i think these are all very like natural skills that the kids are using these days with their 
social media and their video games and things like that. The takeaway here, everybody, is that you know you can get inspiration from comics from anywhere. You can get it from your fingernails, as, <laughs> or you can just get it from Wonder Woman, like in the case of Melody. So you can also get uh, inspired uh, to write your own comic book if you read Amazing Action Superhero. I'm at this little contest today. What do you tell us about it, Yanning? Yes. So all you have to do is drop us a comment below, tag a friend, and tell us. Why do you want to read Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama? And the best comment could win a signed copy from Melanie herself. Yay! And of course, that winner will be contacted via DM. So you have to use your real account. Don't go and, you know, make some some account with only one follower. Remember <laughs> yeah. to leave and it then, public, and, you know, so that we can see yeah, it as well. The contest uh, ends on the 10th of August. So that's like a day after National Day, like a National Day present for you. Uh. Yes. Yay! <laughs> How has writing this series, I mean, as a children's book writer, how has writing this series changed you uh, perspectives uh, and how has it changed you as a writer? I think it was very humbling for me because I was picking up a platform. You know, like writing comedy is something you imagine teen, teens to do, you know, like slightly emo, anti-social teens to kind of dabble in, you know, in their adolescence. And I'm like doing this in my early 40s. I started doing this, you know, like two, three years ago. In my 40s, it felt a bit like I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. So I feel very fortunate that I had different engines, editors to kind of guide me. So they firstly actually gave me crash course. They just gave me a lot of web links and videos for me to figure out how to write a comic script. And then even as I did my drafts, they, they were sort of guiding me. Like for one, I was definitely too wordy in the first like the first drafts. I, I had to really learn to cut back on stuff. I had to be much more succinct with the dialogue. I'm not used to writing everything is dialogue, right? So um, listening to how kids speak, was listening to my son speak to his friends. It just made me a little more like aware that there's a lot of things I don't notice and there's a lot of things I have to learn. Yeah, but um, it was fun. I think it's fun. And I, I think I really enjoy the comics medium and I, I'm really kind of proud of the teamwork because it made me realize a comic book is really a huge team effort. So on top of the illustrator, who is a big part of you know come, making the comic come to life, we actually had a separate colorist as well. And she was very nice. So she chose this wonderful, like kind of, like it's colorful and vibrant, but still kind of pastely, you know, to kind of match the personalities of the characters. And I kind of really like that as well. And then, of course, um, there's a lot of input from the publisher in terms of how to refine the story. So I felt I had a lot of support to make the first comic book come out. The second book, I think I had a, it was a much faster kind of production process because I was more comfortable with that genre. I just need a context. As you mentioned, timeline. Right? Yes. So can you yes. maybe just walk us through what kind of timeline are you looking at for a book versus, let's say, a comic book, for example? So I think a comic book takes a lot longer because firstly, you have to get the storyline approved right, by the publisher. And then usually if they approve the you know, overall story concept, they will want a detailed, at least for this publisher, they wanted a detailed chapter breakdown. So even though I didn't have any kind of uh, so-called like sample chapters to show them because this was a commission kind of project. Um, I had to give them a detailed chapter breakdown and then of course to give feedback there. And then from there, I worked with the illustrator Arif who's actually a Malaysian, um, full-time Malaysian illustrator who does specialize in comics. Um, he was actually much more experienced. He had done, I think, three or four like graphic novels um, published by Malaysian publishers before that. So he actually was very um, fast in coming up with the characters. So it's very important he was drawing the characters in different angles, in different settings, 
it helped me get a sense of what the story would look like in comic form, but it also helped him to sort of get to know the character himself visually. And then from there, I, I do the churning out. So what I did with myself is because I have so many other projects as a freelance writer and part-time lecturer, that's how I got to know Sean, right? Uh, I had to really make time for himself. So I just make sure I would write at least five comic pages worth of scripts, you know, like, like in terms of the script, five pages every day kind of thing during the, the intensive writing process. So I just discipline. have to, <laughs> if not, I would never get it done. And of course, there was a deadline to meet. Um, so five a day, that was actually manageable for me. And once he gets my story draft, the editor makes some cursory comments, especially if structurally it's problematic, she might, you know, give some feedback. So as I'm sending the first draft over, Arif, the illustrator, does pencil sketches. Uh, he's very fast, but I know some artists uh, take, can take one year, like those Marvel DC kind, they can take one year, but he can take a few months because I think Asian timelines. <laughs> and then um, after he does the pencil sketches, again, it will go to around vetting with me and the, the publisher. And then from there, once it's good to go, he starts inking them to make them more um, permanent. So inking is literally like, uh, it's, it's not just pencil sketches anymore. He's starting to make the stories more permanent. And then uh, to save time, because it's really such a, it's a 200 page book. Both of them are over 200 pages. It's quite laborious. So he, we just wanted him to focus on the illustrations and Difference Engine actually hired a separate colorist to start the coloring as he's doing, he's sort of finalizing the illustrations over ink. Yeah. I mean, he's using digital software, but it's called Inked. La, so that's, more detailed outlines and some shading and stuff like that happening. So how long did everything take in the end, all in all? So the first book took two years. The second book took one and a half years. <laughs> so it's quite quite long. Ah, so, the, so your third book will take one year? La. Yeah, <laughs> rushing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think as we get smoother, as we get we gel with the process a lot better, it does make it easier. But I would say book two was also quite challenging to make because I was very tired by COVID. But so book one is peak COVID, right? So it's more the disappointment. I can't do public events with book one. But book two was really, I was doing it in the peak of just like trying to handle, get a grip of the realities of COVID on impact on my life and work. So I was actually right, watching a lot of Korean dramas <laughs> at that time. So it actually kind of as a form of escapism. So as I was struck, you know, I was kind of questioning a lot of things, including my writing. So actually it was Korean dramas that brought me through the writing process because as I was watching a lot of Korean dramas, it gives me like, kind of like a momentum in terms of, yes, these stories are possible to write, even if it doesn't sound like nonsense in your head. You just sit down and write, the stories will come. So there's actually quite a lot of Korean inf drama influence in book two as well. <laughs> I think only the, the mummies will pick it up, <laughs> pick up on it, yeah. So Melanie, how do you get a book published, be it self-published or by a, an actual publisher? So I think the first things first is you have to write your book first. <laughs> okay, that's very important. <laughs> you know, people want to write, but they, yeah, but they don't write anything, then cannot Jeez. publish anything, right? <laughs> so, okay, firstly, write your book, you know, have your draft kind of ready. Because if you're new, right, you can't just like pitch an idea. I think for me, when I pitch Amazing Action Superhero, I've already written stuff, so I had a bit of that track record, right? So I can just sort of pitch an idea, but... 
you're first setting out, have a complete book draft ready. And then you could just sort of research on the local publishers. So there are a couple like Epigram, Marshall Cavendish, um, Ethos, uh, and a few more. I just can't quite remember at this point. And you just go to their websites. They usually actually have a manuscript submission page where they have details like, oh, if you want to submit a story, send a manuscript to like what email address, or they might have a form where you would just upload your draft. So that would be like so-called the cold call way. Um, but there are also some industry events. So I did mention to you like, you know, um, how Amazing Ash Book 2 was actually launched at the Asian Festival of Children's Content. So that festival actually has a whole bunch of events, including pitching events. So that these might be a little more like I would say, a good, it's a kind of like a good networking session. So they have these pitching events where you can actually like, you know, like sign up for, you might have to pay a bit like a pass for that festival, right? But for that pitching event, you can meet like three or four different publishers all in one shot. You have maybe a five to seven minute pitch, like a bit like speed dating, lah. like pitch time, you can sort of, uh, sort of tell them what your story is about and then you can later on email them your script. That actually might help in setting a stronger impression because they meet you, they get some FaceTime with you. So, you know, they might be more inclined to take a closer look at whatever manuscripts you submit after meeting, meeting them at the pitch meeting. Because usually if the editors uh, like the stories, they would, you know, want to follow up you know, when you send the manuscript over. So these are some industry things that could help you. I think uh, the book council, the Singapore Book Council often has um, courses as well on how to get your picture book ready or how to write a novel. They have these um, things in their academy arm for the public that you can sign up for as well. So I think there's quite a lot of resources these days. It's just that I think it's to be realistic, you have to have written something. So I think a lot of, I used to go for you know, like in my, like one toying with an idea, you know, for a book for many years. I've been doing that even before I had kids, you know, even when I was just started work or even when I was in university, I would go for these writing courses sometimes. The trainer was always like, yes, we can tell you want to write, but unless you've actually written something, um, you really got nothing to show for it. So you have to write a lot of stuff. And if you have the good first experience of publishing a book, it actually opens a lot of doors. Either the publisher will want to work more of you or other publishers will want to explore things with you it happens quite naturally la. Mm. so how about self-publishing though do you think like having a self-published book would help yeah. in that as well so self-publishing uh, I, can, I don't have that much experience of it but I can just tell, tell you what my friends who have done it uh, share with me so you get a lot more creative control that's for sure so I would say self-publishing would be good for those who already maybe have some kind of publishing or editing experience in your outside work life so you know you can handle these things on your own I think that will be good for people who are already in the creative industry. Self-publishing gives you a lot more creative control. If you have printer contacts, you know, you probably get good, good deals on getting it printed. But um, I think the important thing to work out for self-publishing is distribution because um, you might have to hire or engage a book distribution company to get your books uh, in the bookstores and they take a cut. So um, it, it, you have to kind of work out the terms with them. I can't remember what the, the market rate cut is usually like, but um, you need a distribution company. So that's an extra thing you might need to hire, even if you can actually handle everything else on your own. Um, whether you are self-published or published by a traditional publisher, I would recommend if you have a bit of extra miscellaneous budget on your end, um, hire a proofreader on your own because there can never be enough uh, eyeballs to go through your work. There will always be mistakes that to spot or any structural inconsistencies. I think um, or create your own little kind of 
reader test group with friends who you know love reading and friends you trust you know like are not you know who are you know invested in your success as a writer to check out your work and getting feedback constantly is very important whether you're both self-published or traditionally being published yeah on the note of creative control in your case uh, or in the case whether a book what is the balance between yourself and the illustrator and because you see, there's so many people, right? I think for me, I felt I had the most creative control because I'm the one who created the story and I write what's happening in the script. But I'm, I will also say I give a lot, the illustrator a lot of space because I definitely see him as like the person who's making the story come alive. So if he has little creative interpretations to, you know, like that, it's not included in my script descriptions, I'm fine with that. In fact, I'm often chuckling at them because it's like he's adding a new level of humor. Like he might add something slapstick with the actions the characters are doing. I, I definitely give that space to, I won't be like, hey, it's not my script. You know, I'm fine with how he added things. In fact, I encourage, that's what we encourage. Um, the editors uh, I've worked with so far, regardless of publishing company, I have been quite I would say quite easygoing in a sense. They usually are, I mean, the fact that they want to publish it means they are already supportive of the idea. Um, so I actually asked the editor for more feedback, actually, if possible, because for me, I, I'm really into like trying to find ways to hone my writing. So I'm actually almost always quite open with whatever language um, kind of tweaks they make to make it sound clearer or less, like, less long-winded. Uh, I'm quite open to that, actually. I think it is quite important for me because, like, you know, I do freelance writing where the clients are the ones who are, have all the creative control and sometimes that's not a good place to be in because you really have to, like, you know, like, really kind of fit your writing to meet, you know, that, that certain quan they want, right? The certain style they want. Um, so I'm just, I think that is why books, writing children's books has been really like that outlet for me to let go a bit. <laughs> yeah, and then I kind of write the way I want to write or tell the stories I want to tell. It's not something as you might have known already, Sean, and <laughs> it's, I don't think I have met uh, an author here, even a best-selling one who sell like maybe even in the six figures range of like books, you know, that's considered like best-selling, like ultimate best-selling in Singapore. They can't earn a lot of money. They can't earn a full-time income with just books. So it really has to be something that has been regarded as a, a passion and side hustle, but it's still a very important side hustle for me for like, like, like how I how I see it. It's a creative outlet, you know, to keep sure. the juices flowing, definitely. Yeah. What advice would you give to writers out there who hope to write their own book? Yeah. Um, be realistic because I know I'm assuming you guys have a mostly local audience as Singaporeans in general we're all very busy people with multiple commitments regardless of whatever your life stage is at life so I know so many people who want to write books and they can probably write really well and they have some great ideas my a piece of advice is be realistic with what you can offer so if it's just five minutes or ten minutes a day just like just writing you know a few sentences or a paragraph down just just sort of carve out that time. At least that's what I'm doing with myself to meet my writing deadline. So just be realistic. Was, um, of course, if you can offer half an hour, one hour, you know, it's more likely your book will come to be. But um, if you just do it like bit by bit, um, you can, you know, get your dream story or dream book come true. Yes. So it's just working at it bit by bit. Yeah, it's just showing up. Don't give it up. Right? Yeah. 
actually. Yeah. Even if you don't feel like it, even if your writing feels like crap, you have got something processed out. This And of course, with any writing process, editing part, the redrafting thing, that's actually the more important stuff. So, important, uh, so just get your story out and then I think things will tend to follow suit after that. And I do have one last question for you. Because <laughs> it's pretty cool to have a graphic novel out to be published. So what would you say to yourself when you were the most uncool in your mind? I would say, okay, so for me, my definition of uncool is not being comfortable in your skin and not being content with your circumstances. So I would say to myself is, you're never going to please everyone and there's never going to be a time where everything is perfect and fine and dandy. So you might as well make the best with what you have and what you're living through right now. Thank you so much, Melanie. Amazing Thanks, Ash bye. and Superhero Ama number two, Coming of Age, is now available at many, many of the major bookshops. Uh, and it's even available online. We'll be dropping the link in the episode description. Also, not just book two, book one is also available. So you after you read book two, then you go back and read book one. Then you go back and read book two again. So, you know, then it's probably time for you to start to wait for book three. Yes, yes. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> so Melanie, where can our listeners find you on their socials or where can they find you to buy your books? Okay, so I, I think I'm generally using Instagram the most at this point. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Melanderings or I have a bookstagram called Mel T Books, which is more like my reading obsessions. You can check me out there. And then um, I have... Uh, most of my books can be found, uh, you can get details of it from my work website, melanielee.sg. Uh, for the Amazing Action Superhero Ama series, you can actually just go to the Difference Engine website. So on the webpage with, uh, that talks about Amazing Action Superhero Ama, they have all the retail links and the online links where you can purchase the book as well as all the accompanying worksheets and activities uh, and stuff like that, which kid readers might be interested in. And we do have a separate micro site for Amazing Action Superhero Ama that uh, sort of educates kids about dementia and that can be found at superheroama.differenceengine.sg. So drop us a like if you'd like to catch more episodes of the Uncool Podcast. PM us, DM us if you'd like to have any more stories, events that you would like us to cover. And until then, remember, it's cool to be uncool. <laughs>